This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Are you guys ready for this? Amen. I'm not sure if I am, but we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And then we'll get started. And I need my dad to come back up here. I don't know where you're headed, but you're up next. So, okay, let's go ahead and pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you will come here today to guide our minds to know more about you. And as we learn about health, Lord, this is your right hand of your message. And you have something uh, important for each of us, I think, to learn. So I pray that you'll just hide me and... Um, Help my words to be something that everyone needs to hear today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be talking about health and agriculture and the benefits of gardening on our health. And I'm going to have my parents come up here really quick so you guys can meet them. This is my dad, Byron, and my mom, Janice. And they're going to tell you a little bit about... Um, where we <laughs> Our farm. Us? Yeah, where we came from. So I guess I should share my mic. Okay. I'm old enough, I don't think I remember very much, so here's Janice. <laughs> <laughs> they always do this to me. You know what? I think that we are so privileged because we get to live on a farm, and I just love being married to a farmer. And I love being the mom of farmers. And um, I just think it's the best occupation. I feel like God has given us so much in farming that it's just, it's just wonderful. But about our farm, so we are in a little place of southeastern Arizona. And um, we grow all sorts of stuff, of which this is just a little, a little bit of it. And um, we have an online web store. And then... Since you mentioned this right here, Amy... Amy took this from our farm. So this is not plastic. These are plants from our farm that uh, she brought up. So you can continue. Anyways, what's really funny is that it traveled 250 miles to get here on our dirt road and potholes and, and then on the freeway and all through the city and everything. And everything was beautiful. And then the valet drover, driver drove it for just however far a valet driver drives it. I don't know, a few hundred feet. And when I came back to the car, this thing was tipped on its nose and all the plants were falling out. And But anyways, it's... But a, it was like that overnight. So it like sat there all crushed <laughs> yeah which is a spiritual lesson right there but um so we are a certified organic farm and we sell direct to people we have an online web store and people choose what they want and then we harvest it and box it up and and send it to give it deliver it to them and so we just are so thankful to be able to do that because it gives us such a close connection with people and um, it's a real blessing for us Okay. This is the rest of our family. Unfortunately, all the kids have moved off the farm, but they're all working on farms of their own. And um, that's Janice and me in the middle, and our oldest daughter to the left of us, Jana. And uh, Amy's off to the far left. And Grandma and Grandpa are sitting at the back. And they do the bakery part of our farm. We have an organic sprouted bakery, which is part of our farm. 
So stand up, Grandma and Grandpa, don't be shy. Yes, yes. So, okay. okay. And then a middle daughter and baby and her husband just behind her and our son over on the far right. Yeah, that's our family, and um, and then we have a bunch. I have a bunch of little nieces, but they weren't in this picture because this was a few years ago. So, and oh, I have a nephew now too. So, anyways, I have a really great family, and um, I grew up working on a farm my whole life. I think that I need to figure out how to get this closer to my mouth because it's not very loud. We'll see if this works. Oh, okay. Hopefully it'll now stay. See, moms still have a job. <laughs> okay, so on to about health. How would you guys say the health of our nation is overall? It's a fast food nation. It's pretty poor, right? In fact, um, this is a graph of our health of our nation, obesity, to be specific, back in 1990. So that was one year before I was born. So this is gonna span over my lifetime. And you can see the little blue um, is zero to 9.9% .9 of people obese. And then the green is 10 to 15%. So overall, that's, that's the most that we had pretty much was, was 20 to 25% in this one little state. And so overall, we had a fairly healthy nation. And check this out as time goes on through the years, how our health has been um, decreasing over time. This is coming up now in 2013. Now in 2013, the, the state that was in the 20 to 25% is now 35% or more obese, and the lowest amount is in California, Utah, Colorado, and Montana at 20 to 25%. So our obesity rate is on the rise, not only is our obesity rate on the rise, one out of three people are going to get cancer. So if you think about it, that means you're gonna get cancer. Tim, you're gonna get cancer. You're gonna get cancer. You're gonna get cancer. You could just look around you and count two people from you and that person next to you is getting cancer or you're getting cancer. And cancer is a super deadly disease. I mean, the number of people, how many of you guys know someone who has cancer or has had cancer? My grandfather passed away from cancer just a few years ago, and uh, it wreaks havoc on our lives and on our homes. The sad part is, is it's not getting any better. Cancer, you can see, in, it's predicted by 2030 to rise another 45%. So you can imagine where our health is gonna be by the time your grandkids or your kids or your kids-to-be are born and uh, are grown up. Um, even a disease that isn't as deadly, not that diabetes isn't deadly, but a lot of people get diabetes and it's not such a big deal. Um, one out of three people that were born in the year 2000 were gonna get diabetes. How many of you are 15 here? 14 or 15? All right, so we have a couple of you guys that are 14 or 15. That means that out of you guys, one of you is going to get um, diabetes in your lifetime. And the thing about diabetes is, well, it doesn't necessarily kill you right away, it impacts your lifespan. Up to 11 years for men who get it when they're in their 40s, and um, it's 18 years that, they, that it decreased their quality of life. 
Um, for women, it's even worse, guys, which is really sad for us. 14 years shorter life expectancy if you get diabetes when you're in your 40s, and 22 years of quality of life. That means that takes me, I'm 23, so that would take me back to being one year old. Think about 22 years of your life and what you've experienced in 22 years, and would you like to not have experienced that 22 years? And one out of three people are going to get this disease in their life. And why do we have this problem in our country? I mean, as Adventists, I think that we have so much information about how to have good health, right? I mean, we have uh, one of the most important things, I think, is God, obviously. And the New Start principles kind of encapsulate that. So you have the eat plant-based diet. We need to exercise, drink water, have sunlight, temperance, fresh air, rest, and most importantly, trust in divine power. So we have this new start principle that can reverse diabetes, that can keep you from becoming obese or reverse your obesity if you have obesity. And for, a, for most people, a lot of cancer cases at least, you can reduce your rate of getting cancer and potentially even reverse it altogether um, if you have cancer. So we have these principles and overall, we are wanting to share this with the general public. That's what medical missionary work and health evangelism is all about, right? We want to get this information out there so that people can make these changes. And there we go. Why do you think it is that people don't change? What are some reasons when we present them with this information that people are still getting the high obesity, are still getting cancer, are still becoming diabetic? What are some reasons that this is happening? Food, yep. Calories, yep. Uh, refuse to change lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's some key, key things that, that we are faced with when we are confronted with this new information. People don't know what to do. That's the first thing. A lot of people have no idea that these things are the case. At our farm, we have um, a number of employees, and one of them, this really sweet young mother of a little boy, um, we were talking to her one day, and she was telling us how her son was always sick during the cold season, right? And we were like, oh, man, it must be hard to watch his sugar intake when he's sick, right? Because it's all the sweets and stuff. And she's like, sugar intake? What does sugar have to do with being sick? And she had no idea that the two were connected. And so a lot of people really have, and I mean, that's not like, I would say probably um, over the years, at least 70% of all of our employees that, that have come to work at our farm when we talk about health or these healthy principles, um, they have no clue. At the, the, the most basic, fundamental knowledge that, that um, we've been blessed to know. Uh, a second reason, I think, is that they feel like it's an impossibility. Maybe they can't afford it. Maybe it's um, too hard. Maybe all their friends and family eat differently than them or um, don't get enough exercise, they work really hard, whatever the case might be, they feel like it's an impossibility to change their lifestyle. Thirdly, they lack the desire to change. So maybe they know that they need a change, they know that it's possible to change, but at the end of the day, they're like, um, like those people that say, I'm fat and happy, so that's all that matters as long as I'm happy. And number four, um, they can't break their old habits. I think that's a huge one. I have my best friend, actually, um, sadly, has, has had a struggle with, with changing her lifestyle. And that's been something that's been um, 
hard for her is that she goes home and her family orders a big, huge pizza. And how can she not join in and eat that pizza when her whole family has it? And she loves it, right? So then how do you make that change to not eat it? And, and she wants to change. She desires to do better and to have um, better health. And fifth, they, this is kind of the same thing that, that she's experiencing. They want to change but don't have the support network to make the change. So these are huge blocks in people's pathway. I think that there's probably a lot more that you guys could list up here as well, but these really do make it difficult, almost impossible, for a lot of people to change their lifestyle. And something that's cool about agriculture is I think that it gives us a tool to use in health evangelism and medical missionary work to start overcoming these obstacles and these blocks that people are facing. And uh, we're going to go through a couple of things that I think agriculture does that we can use as a tool to make these changes, whether it is in your own personal small garden or if you want to have a big-scale farm or just do the garden and start reaching out to your neighbors. It's such a great tool to reach out to your neighbors because it's not spiritual. And you're just like, hey, you want to come over and check out my garden or can I help you with your garden? Yeah, yeah, it's not overtly spiritual. It's a good point. It is spiritual, but they don't necessarily see it that way. So this is um, an easy way, like health is an easy in on a lot of people's um, lifestyle. So it makes eating healthy more affordable. I need six volunteers to come up here. Six volunteers. Okay, Tim. All right, come on up. You guys can come up. Let's see, we have... I still need... One more. Okay. Perfect. Well, I guess I should take my mic off for this. This might be a little bit of a challenge. Okay. Let's hear your guys's. Oh, I have seven now. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. What's your name? Monica. Monica, did you eat breakfast this morning? Yes. Did you eat lunch? Yes. Cool. Okay. What's your name? My name's Tim. And did you eat breakfast? Yes, ma'am. Did you eat lunch? Yes, I did. Oh, good job. What's your name? Levi. Levi, did you eat breakfast? Yes, I did. Did you eat lunch? Yes, I did. <laughs> What's your name? Sergio. Sergio, did you eat breakfast? Yep. Did you eat lunch? Mm-hmm. Oh, I already know your name. <laughs> and what's your name? Joseph. Sorry. Joseph. And did you eat breakfast? Yes. Did you eat lunch? Yes. All right, so she said she did too. This is my cousin, so I just kind of skipped over her. She's my cousin. <laughs> Anyways, so all of you guys ate breakfast, you ate lunch. Which of you would like to, this next year, um, commit yourself? Or I don't know if that's the right word, but anyways, which of you would like to volunteer, that's a better word, to not know where your next meal is going to come from? And for a whole year, and to go hungry sometimes. Okay, I guess I'm going to have to pick someone. <laughs> okay, I'm going to use you, Tim. <laughs> it's good for you not to eat, too, then. Okay, come right over here. So you are now going to be not getting enough food, and not enough, you can come back over this way. All right, so Tim over here is not getting enough food, and he's not going to, he's going to go hungry um, and not necessarily just go hungry, but he's not going to know where his next meal is going to come from. 
this, guys, if you can believe this, is the United States uh, demographic of number of households that go, you guys, yeah, sorry, we're going to have to move over, that have insecurities in their household as far as um, food insecurities go. So one out of every six people around you is hungry sometimes and doesn't get enough food. You guys can go back and sit down. Thank you so much for your help. So 49 million people, including 16 million kids, lived in food insecure households. That's the highest number ever recorded in the United States. So if you guys think about this, um, our, our nation is hungry, right? Obviously, one out of six people. And the problem is, is we want people to eat healthier, right? But how can they eat healthier if they're hungry? And I'm going to um, give a little demonstration of this. So, well, I'm just putting it aside because I need to get something out of the bottom here. So as a female that's somewhat active, I need to get like 2,500 calories. Oh, 2,000 calories, sorry. Okay, so 2,000 calories a day means that I should eat um, five of these packages of ramen in one day. Okay, that's, that's how much to get my minimum calorie intake. This right here only costs me, do you guys know how much this costs? It's about $1 for five packages. They were 18 cents each, okay? So $1, I can get all my calories that I need for a whole entire day, okay? Now, I want to eat healthy. I've learned in these health education programs that you're putting on in your church or wherever you're doing your health evangelism that I need to eat healthy. So I go out and I'm really poor, so I can eat a dollar a day, right? Or I, I want to start eating healthy. So I go to the grocery store, and I buy some nice organic produce, okay? Now, for my whole day, for that same dollar, I don't get to eat three beets, guys. I get to eat one beet. One beet, whatever's hanging off of this, one beet, if that's all, if, if I'm poor, that's all I can eat, that's all I can afford to eat. So how many of you guys are going to choose one beet or five packages of ramen where you can feel full? If you're, if you're poor, you're going to choose the one that, that gives you the most calories. It's, I mean, we have to, right? If you ate just one beet, eventually you would probably, I, I would think, die because you're going to have like just a relatively low amount of calories in there. So, okay, let's go. That's organic beets. Yeah, there's cheaper beets, but I'm talking about good wholesome, natural produce. So now for, I have a family of four, and um, they're hungry, so we're going to feed them one whole day. I got that dirty. Okay, so we get our, our chips, we give them variety, right? We got some dip here, we got some ginger ale. They're gonna be thirsty. Thirsty, yeah, absolutely. And we'll give them some um, Be My Valentine little desserts, right? And then we'll add on some more ramen. Okay, so right here, guys, this amount of food for one day. I think you left my paper back there with the amounts on it. But I believe it was 8,000-some calories that you get with all of this food right here. 8,580. 8,580 calories, which for a family of four, 
for one day, your calories only need to be like 6,500 for a family of four is about what you would need. So you can eat all of this. I can feed my family for $10 for one day. $10.52. My mom's quick to correct me. All right. On the other side of the spectrum, I guess I should get my beats back. Um, family number B decides to eat healthy. So we got that family eating that. So they can eat their beets, and they can buy a bunch of kale, and they can buy two tomatoes, and they can buy a hothouse cucumber, and that's all they get for the whole day for a family of four. $10. And that's $10.75, and that's only 425 calories. So at the end of the day, if you're poor, you're going to have to choose the, the cheaper food. Now, having said that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add in that you can eat, oh, thank you. You can eat cheaply if you eat beans and rice. And there's, there's some other things that you can associate in there to make sure to get, um, to get a balanced diet. But at the end of the day, it's more expensive to eat, to eat naturally and to eat well with lots of nutrients. And having said that, all of us um, health people are quick to add in that you're going to save the money later in life when you um, don't have your health care and all these really great points, which is very, very true. But right now, today, my family only makes $400, $500, maybe $1,000 a month, whatever it is. And we have rent to pay, and grandma's living with us, and we have a whole number of other things that are piling on our plate, and my car broke down, and I don't have money to feed my family, so this is what I have to feed them. And that's why our obesity rate is so high, too, because when they eat this way, you don't feel as full, so you eat more calories than your family needs, even if it's cheap, and, um, and so you're just a, a hungry, fat person because your body needs that nutrients, and it's not getting it from your food. And that's where agriculture comes into the picture. We got to feed people, we got to grow the food for them in order for them to eat well. And if we grow them good healthy food, then they're gonna be able to eat well and they're gonna have nutrient dense food that's going to be able to change their life in, in, all, in all ways. So I'm gonna just put this stuff down here so it's out of my way. <laughs> so, so that uh, deals with our second problem there that was feel like it's impossible. If you can grow your own food, if you can teach people to grow their own food, then it won't be such an impossibility for them to eat healthy. And secondly, you want to, grow what, you want to eat what you grow, which equals healthier eating. I'm going to pick on my dad here for a second. Somehow, my grandma is an amazing cook, and she raised my dad to eat very well. But somehow after he left home, he stopped eating his vegetables and just liked fruits. And he, I guess he would eat like cucumbers and tomatoes, but those are fruits. I don't know what I'm thinking. Anyways, he really just liked fruits. He, he did not like vegetables. And um, when, we were, when we first started our farm, we grew cucumbers to start with and then tomatoes. And that was about it as far as our gardening went. We just had two crops and we grew it in very large scale and sold them all around the U.S., well, one day we decided to change and start growing um, for a farm box program, which means that you're growing a lot more variety and you're growing everything from your kale to your beets to your chard to your lettuce to your kohlrabi and turnips. And as soon as we started growing this way, my mom, of course, 
is going to start cooking the food we're growing, right? Because you want to try them. And my dad had tried all this food before and had not liked it. So we come down, and now we're growing this food. And my dad, as of today, absolutely loves vegetables and eats tons of them because he grew them himself. And when you grow them, it creates this relationship. I don't even know how to explain it, but you want to eat what you grew, and you want to try it, and then you try it, and you like it, and then you want to eat more of it. And it's not just me that says that. There's a lot of scientific studies. And what's happened is parents have stopped eating healthy. So when the parents don't eat healthy, the kids don't eat healthy. And when the kids don't eat healthy, they, their taste buds change so they don't even like the taste of healthy food. 93% of children aged 2 to 11 do not consume the recommended two servings and three servings of vegetable. Yeah, anyways, that slide every day. These are actually my two, two of my nieces playing out in, the, in, the, in my one niece's garden. But anyways, this just shows, that means that almost all children aren't getting enough fruits and vegetables in their diet. And the reason for this is that the parents don't like it, so the kids don't like it. And we've got to reverse that trend. And how do you get them to start liking fruits and vegetables? You can't just talk about it. And I'll show you why you can't just talk about it. This is a study um, from a California agriculture that they did because they're trying to incorporate more gardens into the schools there. And so they wanted to see what really happened when you incorporated gardens. So they took a control school that just had, I'll just use this as a demonstration. So you guys right here are the control school. And that school, they made no change in the nutritional program. And then this group here, they uh, just put in a nutritional education program. So in the program, they just had um, education in the classroom like once a week or whatever. And then this group over here, you guys got a program that allowed you to actually go out and garden as well as getting this nutritional education in the classroom. And your guys' group, at the end of the program, they, they did a series of tests and at the beginning and the end. And they tested the overall education knowledge that the students had about um, proper nutrition and about fruits and veggies and about what kids liked, like if they liked eating that way. And so they tested at the beginning and the end, and then they followed it up with a study six months later. And the control group, obviously, you guys saw no change. You did not like your fruits and veggies and stayed on the same way. And the classroom nutrition education saw an increase in students' preference of broccoli and carrots, and they also started to um, know more about it. But broccoli and carrots are pretty standard vegetables, right? The third group, when they incorporated the gardening into it, they saw the benefits of the nutritional education program, but on top of that, they liked zucchini and snow peas. They only tested six vegetables. I should give that as a caveat, because that's not a lot, of, uh, a lot of range of product. But basically, they started liking more unique items, and these changes lasted the whole six months. So they started eating healthier, they started liking the food more, when they could incorporate and the students could grow it themselves. And um, so this was in California. They also did a study in Australia. And this one was done at um, so several, three different schools as well. And it was done um, over a two-year span. And this one was a lot more in-depth. They actually had the students uh, incorporate it into their classroom learning. So that for math, 
they would have them go out into the garden and measure the growth of the plants. And for science, they would have them identify different types of plants. And for English, they would have them write a paper on their experience in the garden. And then they also had them um, cook with the food. They had a chef come in and cook the food uh, throughout the program. So, and every week they were in the garden and they were cooking the food that they had grown. And at the end of the program, the, the study found that students were twice as likely to try new veggies after they had participated in this program, which was higher than they, they did it with a school that just did, um, just did the classroom education and not the gardening part of it. And when they could garden as well, this was the results. Twice as likely, that's a pretty good um, increase in amount of wanting to try food for a, a kid that really just likes pizza and donuts and white bread. And they also found that the students started bringing healthier lunches to school. The parents said that the kids were more willing to eat whatever was put on their, on their plate at home. Yeah, and my mom is saying, look, uh, look at our employees. Our employees at the farm, you just see them progressing and changing in how they eat after they start working at our farm because they, they're allowed to take a certain amount of produce home. And so it's whatever we have extra. And, and their health is, they, they start trying it, they like it, and they uh, get better health. Mm -hmm. So this, it, this addresses um, the, the two big blocks that we have as far as lacking the desire to change and also breaking your old habits. When you're put in a garden environment, kids, adults, whatever it might be, you're able to um, start wanting to change. And it's just, it's just natural. I, I really appreciated Paul's talks today and about how we were created in a garden, how we were meant to work in a garden. And when I think there's something that God inherently put in us that when we're working in that garden, we start um, liking, liking the food, liking to eat it, wanting to be around it. So number three, there's higher nutrition level in the produce. How many of you guys know how old your produce is when it gets to you, typically, in the grocery store? Does anyone have a guess? Three months. Not quite. <laughs> that would be very long. It can be, yes, on apples and, and those kinds of things. But this is like an average... Uh, for fresh produce, like your lettuce and your shorter than that. Yeah. Two weeks. It takes two weeks. And check this out. Most produce loses 30% of nutrients within just three days of harvesting. And how long were we waiting to get our produce in the grocery store? Two weeks. And what's crazy about it, it's not like it loses it and then stays there. It just keeps declining and declining and declining. So by the time you get your produce, your nutritional level isn't even where you think it should be. In fact, this is a crazy thing. Sometimes frozen food, often I should say, has higher nutritional level than the fresh stuff because they freeze it right away. And so you actually often get more nutrients that way. And crazy thing too, some produce loses even more than that. Spinach loses 90% of vitamin C within 24 hours of harvesting. So when you have your own garden, and you can go out there, and you pick this fresh off of the plant, and you eat it fresh off the plant, it has that full nutrient level in it that, that it just is vibrating with this nutrients. and. Um, if we're wanting people to be in full health, that's our goal, right? It's health evangelists and wanting to get people into health. 
then you've got to have that agriculture and that health evangelism on that same coin. They're two sides of the same coin. You can tell them all about eating healthy, but you've got to add in the growing it so that that way they can have that fullest potential that they can reach in nutrients and, and these other things we're learning about. This is from Ellen White, um, Manuscript 13. If people only knew the value of the products of the ground which the earth brings forth in their season, more diligent effort would be made to cultivate the soil. All should be acquainted with the special value of fruits and vegetables fresh from the orchard and garden. And that's the key point there. When it's fresh, it has so much extra potential and extra nutrients and extra value for, for you and your family. Um, number four, and this list could literally go on and on and on, but I just chose um, some that I was passionate about. So number four here is better mental health. How many of you guys want to get dementia or Alzheimer's in your life? I think, I, I don't know how many people I've talked to have said that they would rather just get old and have their brain all the way through that and not have to go through the process of losing your brain and having to be dependent on someone else. And two separate studies that follow people in their 60s and 70s for up to 16 years, so this is a long-term study, respectively found that those who gardened had 36 and 47% lower rate risk of dementia than non-gardeners, even when a range of other health factors were taken into account. So if you want to keep your brain power, get out and garden, and you can uh, help increase your, decrease your likelihood of um, dementia. So for those of us who are young and aren't quite so worried about getting old, we're hoping Jesus comes before that, this still has some really powerful benefits from being in the garden. This is a study from Norway on people who had been diagnosed with depression, persistent low mood, or bipolar 2 disorder. How many of you guys know someone who's been depressed in their life? Depression is a huge issue that we're dealing with in society nowadays, and that's a whole other topic in and of itself. But anyways, these people spent six hours a week growing flowers and vegetables, and after three months, half of the participants had experienced a measurable improvement in their depression symptoms, and what's there more, their mood continued to get better even after they finished their program. And what's crazy about this is that this isn't just because it's fresh air, sunshine, and all the other great natural doctors that are outside. There's something in the soil called microbacterium. I'm looking at my dad because I always forget how to say that. But anyways, microbacterium, I think I said it right, that's in the soil. And there was a study done, this just came out in the Discover magazine, on is dirt the new Prozac? Dirt actually has microbacterium in it, which is like an antidepressant. When you're working in the soil, um, you get more serotonin, which increases your happiness. So the results so far suggest that simply just rooting around in the soil, so getting your hands dirty and getting it on you, um, can help elicit a jolly state of mind. You can also ingest microbacteria through eating plants such as lettuce that you pick from the garden or carrots or whatever. Yeah, you, you want to eat it and it has a little bit of dirt on it and you're like, whatever. Or you don't even realize that it has a little bit of dirt on it because you just wipe it on your pet and then you eat it. And Anyways, the, this just has a way of making us happier. How many of you guys want to be happier? I think everyone, especially when you're like stuck in an office and on one of those like really bad, bad days, that 
we get sometimes. <laughs> Just go outside and put your hands in the garden. You're going to start feeling better. <laughs> this is actually my niece. I always have to have this, this picture because this is when she was just a little baby and she absolutely loves being in the dirt. Something else this does um, with working in a garden is it relieves stress. Stress is something else that I think all of us experience at some point in our life. So if you're not worried about any of the other things, stress will probably catch up to you. Or if you're not stressed, you probably need to start doing something because you probably haven't experienced life yet. So this is a study from the Netherlands that suggests that gardening can fight stress even better than other relaxing activities. So sit down and read a book. If Tim, if you were reading the book, I'm going to use you again. And mom, you were to go out and garden. The person who's gardening for 30 minutes reported that they were in a better mood at the end of it. And not only that, they checked their stress hormone levels and found that they were decreased more than the person who was just reading a book. So sometimes it's nice. We want to, like... You're tired, you don't want to get outside, you don't want to do something, but you'll actually feel better, and you'll be less stressed if you can get out in the garden. How many of you guys think that's a really cool thing to start putting into our health evangelism? Getting people in the garden, they'll start feeling less stressed, which is key to helping them feel better about themselves, helping them want to uh, change their lifestyle. And number six, this kind of encapsulates a lot of things. You get all eight natural doctors when you're working in the garden. You get the good nutrition, you get exercise, you're working hard, so you need to drink more water. Um, you get sunshine, it makes you tend to be more temperate, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, you want to go to bed, yeah. And, um, and you, need to, you get the fresh air that you need, um, you are going to sleep better. I, I, at least for myself, I always find I sleep better if I've worked outside or worked in the out in hard doing something. And trust in divine power. I don't know, um, just growing up, I don't know, and I'm sure this is the same for your guys' family, like having a farming career, it does have challenges. Like I'll be really honest, it's not an easy career necessarily to get into because you're dependent on something outside of yourself. You can do all you want to, give your plants fresh air, sunshine and water, and guess what? The little bugs like that too. Or guess what? The weeds like that too. And you lose a crop and you get a drought or you get a flood or these things that are beyond your control. And our market forces. And you've got to trust in God that he's going to take care of you. And that's in a large-scale farm. But just in, even in your own garden, no matter how much you worry or how much you try, you can't make a seed grow. A seed grows because it has God's power inside of it, and it has that life-giving force inside of it, and when you plant that seed, um, that's the only way it can do it. So vitamin G, how many of you guys have heard of vitamin G? No one, cool. <laughs> Means this is new information. Vitamin G equals, it's vitamin green space, I think. Anyways, vitamin, vitamin green. Uh, this is a study across the whole population of England showed that those who lived closer to greener environments had a 25% lower all-cause death rate even after adjustments were made for the wider health impacts of poverty. So just being in greenery and being around plants lowers your death rate. This is another study concluded that every 10% increase in green space is associated with a reduction and increase 
in disease equivalent to an increase of five years of life expectancy. How crazy is that? Just living in a green environment, being around plants increases that. Another study, I didn't include it, but it talks about um, how they, they took two different building developments, I believe it was in Chicago, and one of them was completely um, just brick and mortar, whatever, and then the other ones had greens, greens in, associated with the apartment complex. And this was in this, they did this over several buildings. They were testing it over several buildings. And the buildings that had greens, a tree, whatever it might be with it, consistently always had lower violence rates against people and against property than those that didn't have it. So just being in nature, just being around greenery has a benefit for us that's huge, that can decrease our life rate, <laughs> that could uh, increase our life expectancy and um, make people less violent. And there's so many studies, I, I wish I had time to go into them all, about the impact on kids and having kids around greenery and how it impacts their motor skills and their ability to, um, to do better in school and uh, their overall IQ. And you could just go on down the line just around being around plants. Yeah, my mom was just mentioning that the peacefulness in the home environment is increased when you're in a green environment. And I loved this quote. By outdoor exercise and working in the soil, men and women will regain their health. Rational methods for the cure of disease will be used in a variety of ways. Drugs will be discarded. So this isn't even talking about us health evangelists and medical missionaries. We talk a lot about eating right, right? But this is just talking about outdoor exercise and working in the soil, and it has a promise in it. What's the promise? We will, they will regain their health. Just being outdoors and working in the soil, you can regain your health. And obviously, um, yeah, that's, that's just powerful. So you can choose. You can have your sick care, or you can have your health care um, through growing your own food, and creating, your, uh, creating a healthy diet through the way you grow. What time is it, by the way? I'm sorry, I don't have my clock on. Okay. So you can choose a lot, of different, a, a lot of different ways that we can do medical missionary work and health evangelism. There's a lot of ways that we can approach that, right? You can go out and you can have a health seminar. You can go out and you can... Um, Oh, let's see, what else can you do? You can go out and give people um, cooking schools, and there's, there's a lot of things we can do to, to uh, help them to have better health. But the thing that I think is cool about agriculture, whether you have your own garden, or whether or not you um, want to get into farming big scale, or if you just want to encourage other people to have their own farm, is those points that we, that we just went through. It really can impact us in so many different ways, and help us in our overall health for ourselves and also give us a tool to really connect with other people um, in health evangelism. I want to share this quote with you. I thought, that, oh, let's go back one. Okay. The burden of sin with its unrest and unsatisfied desires lies at the very foundation of a large share of the maladies the sinner suffers. Christ is a mighty healer of the sin-sick soul. These poor afflicted ones need to have a clear knowledge of him who is now 
are right is life eternal. The most exalted spiritual truths may be brought home to the heart by the things of nature. The most, what kind of exalt, what kind of truths? <laughs> the most exalted spiritual truths can be brought home in what way? By the, by the things of nature. So if we want to have exalted truths, and this is, Paul was talking about this earlier too. If we want to have exalted spiritual truths, we've got to get in nature. We've got to experience um, that. It's going to be brought home to us by these things. The birds of the air, the flowers of the field, and their glowing beauty, the springing grain, the fruitful branches of the vine, the trees putting forth their tender buds, the glorious sunset, the crimson clouds, predicting a fair morrow, the recurring seasons, all these may teach us precious lessons of trust and faith. And it continues on. We're not quite done. The imagination has here a fruitful field in which to range. Ellen White talks a lot about how our imaginations can get really um, wrecked, warped by, by dwelling on, on things that are around us. Like the world overall has, is just sin sick and awful. And this is a place that, that the imagination can go and roam free. It can just enjoy this area of nature. And um, you don't have to worry about it getting tainted by things that are the, the world would have. The intelligent mind may contemplate with the greatest satisfaction those lessons of divine truth which the world's redeemer has associated with the things of nature. Christ sharply reproved the men of his time because they had not learned from nature the spiritual lessons which they might have learned. And I thought that was so powerful because how many of us are like, myself included, need to get our, should be reproved by that. Do we really spend enough time in nature learning the spiritual lessons that we might have learned um, through, that, through nature? And it's, it's not that they, like, they could have studied their Bible, but, but Christ sharply reproved them because they didn't learn it from nature. And I think that's, that's super powerful. All things animate and inanimate express to man the knowledge of God. The same divine mind that is working upon the things of nature is speaking to the minds and hearts of men and creating an inexpressible craving for something they have not. The things of the world cannot satisfy their longings. And I was just so struck by that because to me what's so crazy about that is all we got to do is get people in a garden environment, get people out in nature in whatever means we can. And when we can get people out into that area, the divine mind is working in that area and, they, and it's going to be speaking through nature to their minds and hearts and it's going to create a craving in people for something more than what they have, something that the world can't satisfy. So if you can just get people in that environment, it's like you have an open door because, they, because it's an environment that God can use to start talking to them um, through the things of nature and start creating a craving and a longing. And don't, as health evangelists, as medical missionaries, or whatever career we're in as evangelists, don't we want to know what, uh, don't we want people to start craving something more than the world can offer? Because as soon as they start craving, then we have a link to, to bring them the thing that, that they're craving, right? As soon as they want it, that's the biggest key. Like people don't want it, and so, they, so we can't give it to them. So that's all we gotta do, and when we can do that, um, Christ is gonna start speaking to them through that, and to us as well, obviously, through, the, through nature. Let's go ahead and close.
close. What we, uh, what I ended up doing is, as you might have noticed, I don't know what the program says for sure, but I switched around the days that we're having the topics. So, because somehow it landed that we were going to talk about farming in a practical sense on Sabbath, and I figured it might be a little better to do that before Sabbath. Amen. So, <laughs> we're going to talk about the one percent career tomorrow morning. Yeah, nine o'clock tomorrow morning. We're going to talk about the one percent career, and more practical points in how to get started with farming, with a garden, if that's something you would like to get into. Um, and then Sabbath, we're going to be talking about evangelism and agriculture. So this one was health evangelism. And on Sabbath, we're going to look at how to actually reach people from an evangelistic standpoint through agriculture, which still has health in there too, because you can't get away from health when you're doing agriculture. But that is the plan. So let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much that you are uh, a God of nature, that you've given us a book that we can go to and study that has you in it, Lord. That, that's When we're working in nature, you say that, that you're just inside that plant. It's a life-giving power. And when we're working with that plant, we're right next to you working with you. And I just want to ask that you will help us to all get out in nature more often, to experience that so we can become untainted from the world and live a more simpler, uh, pure life like the plants of the field do. I want to thank you for your love for us, and please bless us now for the rest of this convention, all the great things we will be learning. We love you. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.